0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 420. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Mary Hassavari. Mary's a filmmaker and screenwriter based in Oslo, Norway, with her mixed Thai-Iranian heritage. Mary has a most unique story and viewpoint in her filmmaking, leveraging her third culture life, to make engaging films. In this conversation with Mary, we discuss her journey into filmmaking, how film and storytelling have been changing, as well as look at some of her ongoing projects, including her documentary Dharma about female Buddhist monks and a feature-length fiction, Persona. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Mary Hassavari, great to have you on the show. You and I were introduced to one another by Muiwa, and he said, you've got to meet this crazy different film writer and director uh, living in Norway, you'll see. And by gum, he was right. Mary, in your own words, how do you like to describe yourself?
1: Uh, I would describe myself as a filmmaker, but also a third culture kid and a child of God.
0: All right, so I, I I kind of have an idea what child of God means, but um, I need a little bit more help on third culture kid. Tell me more.
1: So a third culture kid is uh, usually a person that has been brought up in a place where they were not born. Or it can also mean, or and, it could also mean a person that has a very, you uh, you know, diverse multicultural background, and then you know those you know those uh, uh, different backgrounds come together and form you know like a third culture.
0: Got it. Oh, now I get it. I don't know. Maybe there's a fourth, fifth culture in you as well. You have <laughs> many cultures too. It, explain us how you got to Oslo, Mary.
1: How I got to Oslo. Uh, well. I moved with my parents to Moss first, actually. Uh, my, my dad and my mom. So my dad is from Iran and my mom is from Thailand and they met in Thailand. Uh, my mom, she was doing uh some volunteer work, and uh my father, you know, happened to be in that same area, and then so they met and one thing led to another. <laughs> But he was also, yeah. (laughs) But he um, uh, was actually a political refugee. And because he's been, you know, like uh, an activist and uh, working uh, quite actively against the new uh, regime, you know, because what a lot of people don't know is that Iran used to be a very liberal country before, you know, Khomeini took over. So it was very strange for the people living there. It's as if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we have to wear a burqa. Like, why? (laughs) We haven't been doing that for, you know, the longest time. So, uh, yeah, so usually, like, intellectuals, like artists, like people who, uh, you know, were just, like, didn't put up with it in general, (laughs) had to leave. Uh, So one of them were my my dad and so he got uh, asylum in Norway and that's how we came to Norway and then me and my mom came after. Uh, So we stayed in Moss first and then shortly after we moved to Oslo and that's how I got to Oslo.
0: (laughs) Yes and so too for those of you who are listening, Mary is clearly not an average looking Norwegian. Uh, which makes it obviously very different in, in such a country. And I was wondering, having an activist father like that, that must be, for me, it feels like it must be rather impressive. How is it like to, I mean, obviously, it's he's your dad. So there's that. But what does that mean at dinner parties, dinner tables? Are we regularly talking about politics? Are we regularly standing up for what we Yes,
1: doing? we are. And sometimes in clash with each other, but sometimes, you know, we also agree. Um, You know, it's, I think it's usually, it's quite common that people who used to be an activist in their youth, you know, in the 70s and 80s, these days, they're not as, you know, active or maybe not at all. (laughs) You know, they have the regular jobs, you know, and everything. Uh, But he's still passionate about, you know, justice and those kind of subjects. Um, so, but I, growing up, I always asked him to tell me stories about, you know, his youth and growing up in Iran, because he always had so many interesting stories and experiences. And it really sounded like an action movie, you know, to me. Not only that, but
0: there's also just, so it was a different time, I mean, Mm. compared to what it is today. So he, he acts almost as a, as a sort of a historian of of the of the time under the Shah and a time prior to the image that we have of Iran uh, today, which, of course, is just the image that the media portrays. There's still, I'm sure, from what I've heard, plenty of of people within Iran who aren't in the same mode or, or who were, let's say, silently trying to activate against what's going on. Mm. So. Mary you you you're now uh living in Norway you've got this uh amazing parents and you decide that you want to get into communications and more specifically into film tell us how that path happened
1: well my first uh you know meeting with filmmaking was when I was 16 and I made uh, a short film that time it was about uh, it was a documentary about um, black metal and teenagers you know in liking that kind of music and what fascinated me about them was sort of the uh you know like sort of like the contrast between personality and the aggression like the aggressiveness not the aggression but the aggressiveness in the music because most black metal kids are very sweet and soft and you know like in in that sense and and most people might not think that when they see them you know because they have like these leather clothes on and you know nails and screaming music and stuff and I've always it has always fascinated me about people in general you know how people have this shadow and light to them you know and uh So when it came to documentary work, you know, I started quite early and it was usually in terms of, you know, subjects in terms of youth culture. Um, But uh, yeah, and then after that, I started doing other things, uh, but I came back to filmmaking again around uh, age 23. You know, I started making more short films and then I decided uh, that I wanted to go to film school and uh, yeah.
0: Where did you go Mm -hmm. to film school?
1: London Film School.
0: So you you get introduced to really, I would characterize London as as a hotbed of film. It's Mm -hmm. certainly one of the more creative centers in the world. What did that do for you? And you've already got your three cultures. What happened to Mary passing through the London Film School?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, London Film School is also quite multicultural because they have students from all over the world. A lot of students from Iran, actually, (laughs) surprisingly. Um, But yeah, no, it was interesting. And it was, like you say, it was such a melting pot of, you know, uh, of people. Uh, So, but yeah, but I, I, prior to that, I actually worked for a film production company in Bangkok as an assistant. And prior to that, I worked as an assistant for the Rotterdam International Film Festival. So I had already, in a way, dipped my toe into the film industry even prior to uh, starting film school.
0: So you, you announced that your interest is in looking at the, the light and the dark, the, the different sides of people. There are plenty of ways that one could explore the light and the dark and the, the different ways of personality. What is it about film that draw you to that medium as opposed to others?
1: For me, it's the most uh, complete medium, you know, when it comes to the way I want to express myself, express the subject matters that uh, investigate the subject matters and explore that I find interesting. Uh, because with film, you have moving images, you know, you have, written word you have music you have sound you know you have light you have time you know so you have all these elements that together uh you know form film as a medium that I feel like it's most complete because I have dabbled into other mediums prior to that and I didn't feel like uh you know I didn't feel like I could uh explore what I want to explore in depth Fullest extent, you could say. So yeah, that's why I chose film.
0: So when you're behind the camera, or writing even a script, of course, or directing in general, you're naturally gonna, well, I assume, bring a bias to your eye. It's called a prism. It's an angle. How would you describe yours?
1: Uh, My perspective. You mean? Yeah. Uh, Well, I I feel like. My perspective, I actually call it synthesis because <laughs> it's made my nature, you know, it is how who I am and how I was brought up in terms of my influence, cultural influence, but also in terms of interest. And that uh, you know, as an extension of that, you could say, I feel like I naturally gravitated towards uh, non-dualism and looking at, how uh you know how we are essentially one and how we can how new things are created you know from like the foundation of different elements that initially look like like uh, opposites yeah
0: so non dualism explain yeah. a little bit more for me what do you mean by non dualism
1: so dualism is the you know, like the black and white, for example, like evil and good. It's for me, it's like a simplification of reality, but it's easier for our brains to grasp. So I think a lot of people latch to that, you know, it's easy to understand while non-dualism, you know, it's actually the reality <laughs> because everything is, you know, people, we have both darkness and light to us, for example, uh, we have light and we have we have day and we have night. You know, it's it's part of the same. So um, it's uh, it's like you know, it's a more complete way of viewing reality, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: It, when just listening to you, it makes me think because uh, I, I like words as well. I, I I kind of say I want to feel that there is. Within the descriptions, still things that stand out, and and so when you say day and night, actually a day has the night within it. When we talk about a day, Monday is Monday day and Monday night, and so there's I was I was thinking about that, but I in a sense what you're saying. Of course, and there's dusk, there's dawn, and there's the whole spectrum up until noon, high noon. And then the darkness at the most profound part of the hour. And there's lights and different shades of light throughout the 24 hours.
1: For sure. Um, yes, if I get you right, the like it might see, it might seem that I'm saying that everything is the same, like one color in a way, but that's not what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> well, no, yeah, what you were saying is as I understood it, was that there is a oneness, there yeah. is a one thing, but that it doesn't come from male or female it it comes from a spectrum of feelings and a spectrum of identities to become yeah. the one person that you are
1: yeah exactly
0: so much more nuanced all the same mm. so when uh, one of the things that's of real interest to me and certainly to many listeners is storytelling
1: mm-hmm. it,
0: it's one of those hot trendy topics in business I want to start by just asking, how do you feel storytelling has, has evolved? Uh, you Obviously, as a child, you would have seen certain films, and, and now you're telling other stories. How would you describe the evolution of storytelling over your lifetime? Because I'm not going to ask you to sort of go back to Disney
1: in the <laughs> 50s. In my lifetime, I feel like it has become more diverse. It's become... Uh, like like it has become less dualistic. It has become, there's an increased interest to hear about different perspectives that we haven't really heard before, that haven't really gotten the platform before. So I feel that is the biggest uh, change in my lifetime. New creators sure. have gotten, you know, Uh, the chance to tell their stories, basically.
0: Yeah, you see that, obviously, in in the way, perhaps in reaction, but that the BAFTAs and the Oscars are now uh, really putting in the fore.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like I think that the, the traction that these movements have gotten wouldn't have been possible, without uh, social media essentially. Because there was this narrative going in the past, narrative, you know, like speaking of stories (laughs) uh, about how people didn't wanna see uh, women leads, for example, unless it was a rom-com. Like executives in different studios would actually say that. And of course they were like, you know, men, (laughs) and they didn't think that, oh, it's because we chose a male director, we chose a male writer to write this character, so for some reason, she became like super one dimensional, and like a sexual object, and no one can relate to that, because that's not a human, you know what I mean, (laughs) so, uh, but they could keep this narrative, because no one could prove them wrong, You know, because the times they had tried, those movies had flopped and there were no other proof otherwise. Right. But with social media, we see, you know, there people come in and say, you know what? This is unacceptable. We don't want to see that crap. You want to see this. You can mobilize, you know, and create a movement and be like, boycott that film. You know, let's watch this film and support this film. So this I feel like social media has really been essential uh, when it comes to accelerating those movements, you know, that were already, you know, sprouting and I didn't have the chance to accelerate in the same speed as it has until recently.
0: So with regard to writing, so as you know, I've dabbled in a little bit of film myself. And, and certainly studied film at university. Script writing, I, I wonder of the parallels in the way film script writing has evolved in that there was a time where we would do things like boring character development. And then little by little, all character development got washed out in favor of action and you expressed everything through action, show it, don't tell it kind of approach. Where are we today in script writing? Is is that still the norm if you want to make blockbusters? Or do you feel then that in the abilities for us to have a nuanced, non-dualistic approach to writing, we're finally getting back to a little bit more nuanced character development?
1: I feel like both are sort of happening at the same time. Because, you know, when something happens, usually like a reaction to that happens in parallel. So you see how there's like a surge of all these uh, franchise films and sequel after sequel. And it looks like someone just put, like in editing, it looks like someone just put in a blender and you you know, and it's just like, what am I watching? (laughs) But um, so I feel like the speed that these are churned out you know in and that doesn't really uh afford the time it takes to really dive into the character development you know of of the piece but also I think because uh for some reason a lot of it it appeals to many people to you know just look at a lot of shiny objects (laughs) moving (laughs) then there's a big market for that you know so that's why that's happening but um on the other hand there's also sort of like a counter movement to that where people are and screenwriters are also you know going deeper into storytelling and character-driven stories and and producers are looking for perspectives that we haven't really seen on the big screen yet, you know, an angle. So, uh, yeah, I think both are sort of happening at the same time right now.
0: One of the challenges we have in the different ways that we might communicate, whether it's as a writer, filmmaker, journalist, we we are still beholden to the money. Uh, the dollar and and so if you if you make a big gangbuster blockbuster action-oriented huge number 17 in the list of you know the, the 17th version, yeah at least we're going to make money. so when you're when you're on the other side on the other hand the equation of finances is much more complicated at least that's what I observe there may be an appetite to see it but distributions changed a lot. People seem to have less and less patience for these things, you know, snip, 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 not, you know, run it out. My attention's not going to last if you are just trying to watch paint dry.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't call that a kind of filmmaking, uh, watching paint dry though, <laughs> at least not for me, because I make those kind of films as well. But uh, I feel like, you know, not everyone's the same. Not everyone likes superhero movies. And some people might like that and like, you know, uh, character uh, dramas or things that have more depth, basically, and more are more, you know, original visually. So uh, there's definitely a market to for that as well. Just look at the recent films like... Um, you know, like uh, for example, *Parasite*. You know that did very well. The,
0: the Korean film.
1: Yeah, *Nomadland*. You know, and so on and so forth. Uh, *Get Out*. You know, so in the with those films, they're a lower budget, but you can actually, you know, if it hits, you could actually earn a lot with low risk. Like *Get Out*, it made like it was made on four point five million budget and made like over 200 million right while these blockbuster films the budget is like you know 2 3 million <laughs> so there's a higher risk you know
0: for sure uh and also if we're going to talk about these types of things we can celebrate well first of all i, I like watching paint dry I'm
1: okay.
0: I'm a, I read You might be books. the
1: one of the few in the world. <laughs> no,
0: well, of course, but I read books. You know, I'm one of those guys that can do But is slow that time.
1: watching is that watching paint dry though? I don't it's know.
0: A, it's an allegory. It's an allegory <laughs> or shoot 'em ups and making everyone die right away and big explosions, shiny objects. It's the just like you know, the action films aren't necessarily all about shiny objects, doing character development isn't necessarily about paint drying, of course. I, I I can appreciate that. And yet in film, you're in a business where, for me, for having observed it a little bit, getting a film to come out, much less be successful, that can be like paint drying. Because yes. you know, the number of films that go from script to blockbuster, well, it's, it's a very low percentage. And so what do you think, will take what does it take to make uh, a story that you have whether it's a documentary or a fictional story work what are what are the things that work today in in the minds of the the viewers because ultimately that's where the the money lies yet you have to go through all the getting money producers I mean one of the things Mary that I always laugh at I mean I kind of frown at scowl is the number of production companies that are involved when you do the credits. You know, it's production house one and production house two and production, I mean, this goes on, this takes up a minute of your time just to to, to announce the scroll through all the different participants in getting the film to happen. Because by the way, it's very complicated. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think you need to have a unique perspective. And it's, you know, it's getting more, uh, I think it's more important now than ever. Uh, And I think you have to uh, not only have a unique perspective, you also have to, it has to be part of the zeitgeist. It has to be socially relevant, you know, relevant to people's lives essentially. So it's like a combination of those things. And it also has to, I think in the indie, uh, in the indie film scene, it has to be, you have to have a unique perspective that's socially relevant, but also has an entertainment, uh, has also has some entertainment value, you know? So it's like balancing those elements in a way. Yeah.
0: So when you're doing a a film, whether it's, again, more the fiction version as you do, or documentary as you do. To what extent does the fact that this could be viewed on a mobile phone, has this entered into, I mean, you can actually film it on a mobile phone, but the fact is that so many more, especially amongst the youngsters, are enjoying consuming video and film on a tiny screen. Well, I mean, even though it's a pretty whopping iPhone screen or whatever, does that come into play nowadays or is that just yeah you know, well that's the way it is
1: it's, it's interesting that you should mention that because i'm i'm part of a group exhibition uh like an art exhibition here in norway and i'm actually going to exhibit one of my pieces is actually uh one of my films on a mobile phone <laughs> that's one of my sculptures <laughs> and uh what I'm questioning is that what you're saying you know like is this is this the is this the best format to watch a film maybe it is you know I don't know but uh for me you know like I sort of grew up romanticizing the big screen you know the cinema and I still feel like I still want to have my films in the cinema, you know, but uh, these days a lot is being streamed as well. And it's like, uh, you know, it's a a higher likelihood of of getting a profit through those channels. And also for more people to see it, which also as filmmakers, we want people to see our work. So there's like pros and cons, you know, but, um, but I sometimes find myself watching films on my phone as well like if I'm traveling for example you know uh, but it really depends on the film like some films I you know they're like I want to savor them and I see that it's like they're visually interesting you know like I want to see them on a big screen I don't want to just see them like on my phone while someone's talking to me in the background, and you know stuff like that. So it depends on the level of engagement that I feel like the the viewer want to commit, you know. But now they have the option. Like it's also a balance between accessibility, you know, and immersion as well. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I my. my tendency is to believe that's a deformation of the film industry to want to have it on a big screen especially when you consider the you know the implosion of cinema centers in the pandemic you know where it's it's all about mm. just the computer screen and the mobile screen as it has been for now mm. and and yet when so i mean of course I, i've seen my film projected on big screen it was shot in high definition and and it has you know the ability to, to occupy the full screen. Because as a real filmmaker, you're going to think about that. You're going to think about the top right of the screen. You're going to think about movements left to right and in all these cinematic elements. When you're on a mobile screen, of course, it's smaller real estate. I mean, it's still the same format, if you will, in terms of a, a 16 by 9 or whatever type of, of format, but you, 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 the attention to detail isn't quite as possible. You can't just focus on the top right of the screen. I mean because your eyes see everything, it's right there. Secondly, you, as you say, you've got this consumption that's happening probably while things are happening around you on an airplane, people are talking. So you, you know that on a mobile, the chances are there's a sort of a more chaotic environment around which. And lastly, there's also bandwidth. And so while the, the high definition, high resolution version of the film is just a, a whopping file, You've also got the, you know, to have the small, quick and easy, light bandwidth streams quickly, those type of considerations. Maybe that's just a formatting question, but I, I have to believe that in the creation conception of the film, that also could have an impact.
1: Uh, yeah, it can have, you know, and you could be creative about it too. But, uh, you know, if, if you want to. <laughs> But uh, I feel like uh, for the, you know, like for a lot of people, I think a a film is a film, you know, for a director. You think like you have the film that you want to create and whether that is watched on the big screen or the the small screen, the TV screen, you know, or the mini screen, (laughs) the phone. It's sort of, I feel like it, For a lot of directors, it comes as a second thought, at least for me, you know? I'm thinking primarily, I'm thinking about the film in itself, you know, as a contained uh, piece, whether it's viewed here or there, you can say, yeah.
0: All right, so film, making success, um, oftentimes that would be, well, did you make money? How do you evaluate success in your films?
1: uh i'm not really in that like you know like super commercial space yet <laughs> but um i you know like i for me it's like the primary goal is to get the film made and you know in order to get it made uh the producers who get involved they also have to feel like in addition to believing in you know, the artistic merits of the work, they also have to feel like uh, they're not losing their investors' money or else they might not get the opportunity to make another film, basically. (laughs) So it's sort of like a balance. Um, I feel like with uh, Dama, with my documentary, I didn't have to think about that element, I guess, at all, because... It is governmentally funded. It's funded by the Norwegian Arts Council. So it is also a stage play, you know, a performance. So uh there I didn't have to I, you know, of course, I want people to watch it, you know. Every artist, they they don't want to just not everyone, of course, there are somewhere though here and there who just want to create something and not show it. But <laughs> I want to show my work, you know, I want to connect with the audience, but um uh but I don't have the audience primarily in mind you know like I'm thinking about what is the ultimate film I can make and then I cross my fingers and hope it connects with people you know basically <laughs> but when it comes to Persona you know which is looks like it's going to be my feature debut uh as a director uh for fiction it is I deliberately chose a genre, you know, to make it a, a genre film, even though I'm doing it in my own way, you could say. So I chose thriller as the genre. Um, because I also happen to like that genre, you know, and uh but within that I'm actually combining a lot, you know, like I, I call the genre of films that I'm making for synthesis because I have comedy in there, you know, like I have different kinds of elements in there that won't necessarily make it only one genre, but I I chose that framework, you could say, because I knew that, uh, you know, if I make a film within this framework, it it will also up the chances for me to actually get this made, yeah.
0: Right, it, it put it ticks a box at some level. You, you don't need to explain. Well, this is not either this or that. It sounds you know, for me, it's like music sometimes.
1: On mm. iTunes,
0: they have all these genres. Yeah. And I, sometimes I don't know whether it's pop, rock, funk, rock, funky, yeah. funky, funky pop. I mean, <laughs> what genre is it? I just need to put it in a box because that's how the business rolls. You need to be simple to certain people. But I think that
1: is, I think that's expanding, you know, I think even Grimes, she created a new genre now on Spotify that uh, where she and Bjork and some other artists who fit that mold, you know, which is not a mold, it's like a combination of electro pop, this, that, Uh, I forgot what she called it. But that is a way of creating, uh, you know, a, a space for yourself where you don't feel like you seem to fit in. And that's what I'm doing, too, with synthesis. You know, it is a genre that and an art movement actually here in Norway that me and uh, my co-director for Dama uh, created. And uh, and this uh, uh, film genre, it is where different genres actually meet, you know, because I personally tend to like these kind of films that don't follow a specific mold, but you know, have elements of comedy, they have elements of thriller, you know, drama, you know, all of a sudden it's crime, you know, and actually a lot of Korean dramas, Korean TV shows, they actually do that and very successfully, a lot of Korean films too. So yeah, so that's sort of what I'm doing. I feel like it's very, it's like second nature to me, you know, because my whole life I've never fit into one box. Even literally when I have to tick up ethnicity, I have to tick, tick up other, you know what I mean? So I feel like when you don't fit into a mold because people insist on having these boxes and you just have to create your own, you know?
0: I love it. So with persona, You've got this quote unquote thriller, at least let's call it a fiction feature length towards that. The the world of, of filmmaking is filled with lots of stories of filmmaking, including uh, rivalries and off screen uh, situations, romances. Um, and And I would have to argue that in the past, I certainly, I think you wouldn't disagree. It was a very masculine world. That's For sure. exactly the way it was <laughs> now a woman behind the camera directing
2: what what does
0: that what does that involve this different i mean albeit you're of course not just a woman you have your third culture you you have different elements to you but h- how do you would how do you describe your, your your touch your prism when you are in that role of directing because you are obviously the boss on right the uh well i
1: think that You know, like the the work or the art will always be a reflection of the artist. And who the artist is, is based on their experience and their life experience. So a film that I make will be very different to the film that you make, for example, even if let's say we're interested in the same subject matters because we come at it from different perspectives. Uh, different so baggage,
0: different knowledge yeah, of film,
1: exactly, and the way which- we, exactly, and the way we, uh, our perspective on people too, you know, and of men, of women, and those kind of things. Uh, as a woman, I'm, I'm very aware of um for example being objectified or how women are objectified and how it sort of dehumanizes (laughs) you and um uh how we can make a character boring you know because they often just have like one note uh if you chose to only do that or it becomes distracting because it's that you know um so, but while, while a man walking, you know, through life without having experienced that might not be so aware of that, you know? So that's just one example of how women sometimes can, a woman, a woman director can have a different perspective, uh, you know, versus a male director. Sure. Um, yeah.
0: All right. So another interesting interplay is that you have also been doing documentaries. And this is something that I certainly know a lot more of for only having done one, but at least having done that. And, and the role of a director in a documentary is quite radically different than in a film, because you just can't tell the, the priestess, you know, jump to the left. Uh, No, this is a documentary. And I'm telling the reality, well, of course you're filming and you're creating what we should call some kind of truth, but you can't impose so many things on the actors who are real people. Um, Talk us through how being a woman in that role is different than the one where you are doing Dharma and uh, sorry, persona, and you're doing a, a, a fictional element.
1: Uh how is being a woman in a documentary, as documentary director, different to in fiction? Um, hmm. I think it's, you know, as the, a director, you always, uh, you know, it's always your perspective. It's always going to be subjective. And the way you portray a person, your subject, your interview subject, for example, or any subject, you know, theme, will be colored by you as a person. So I think that in a way, there are a lot of similarities because as a director, regardless whether it's fiction or, or documentary, you're still shaping the film. You're still um, uh, putting your perspective on the narrative. Um and But I feel like in certain spaces, uh, it becomes even more evident when it comes to access, for example, and the way that the subject relates to you. Let's say in Dhamma, I'm going to interview uh, male uh, boys, you know, boys who are in a youth detention center. Uh, so they will relate. I imagine they relate different to me than my co-director, who is a man. So that's how we can complement each other because they might tell things to him that he they might not tell me. And they might tell me something that they might not feel comfortable telling him, you know? So, and the same with the female monks, you know, there might, might be some things that they want to tell me that they won't tell him, and vice versa. Uh, so that's also how we can be more. You know, directly different, but I feel like in terms of directing, it will always be a reflection of the artist, you know, whether it's in the documentary space or in the the fiction space.
0: So uh, the last zone I wanted to get into was the editing. If you're in marketing, business, making stories is important. Videos is a huge opportunity to communicate. The editor. I discovered in my life and my experience was just scintillatingly important and I had the experience of working with two different editors and and seeing just how radically different an editor can be in terms of their imprint their fingerprint on the way a film is made how important is it in your mind I just love to have you share your experience of the role of the editor in the final product of a film whether it's documentary or feature length.
1: Uh, the well the editor is very uh, essential you know um like just like the the uh, the cinematographer is essential and sound for for that matter uh, but I feel like it it depends on the director and how they work you know like how uh, you know like how, uh, how 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 involved they are you know and how much they have sort of pre uh, planned in a way you know in terms of structure if they work more ad hoc you know like they have a a, like sort of like a vague frame and then they shoot like some people do that and they shoot a lot of footage and then it's like okay well here you go (laughs) then you know it's gonna make a huge difference compared to what you had in mind going in and it will make a difference regardless you know you will always discover something new with your editor like just like you would with your actors as well just like you would in on um with your interview subjects too you know it's like a constant the film is like an organic living thing in a way like it's constantly being shaped but uh taking form but the way I work is that I kind of have, um, I kind of have a structure in mind before going in. You know, I'm I'm kind of like a sculptor, so I have the structure in mind. So the main shape will happen maybe on set. You know, like the the. Uh, the actors might do something that I didn't expect and I'm like, okay, let's go with that, you know, or the subject might say something or we might discover something while we're there. Um, But the shape of the piece, I've sort of already, um, the framework I've already created in my mind, you could say, and then I communicate that to the editor after, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so important that, Of initial contact with everybody where you sort of set down what you're looking for, what you're expecting. And if you're looking for total flexibility, then you can set that up at the beginning. Or you say, no, 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 it's my way or the highway or whatever is your path as you get into it in that very first setup, where you establish the authority, the authorial position as the director of your film. Well, fascinating, Mary. So, um what projects are you working on? Where can people find, see your work and uh or and or connect with you?
1: Uh well, yeah, I I just finished a, a short film called uh Milsa," which means formation. So, we are uh putting that out to the world soon. So, hopefully you'll see it in a film festival very soon. Um I'm also in pre-production with my documentary, Dama that we talked about. So uh, if we get to shoot that, <laughs> hopefully end of this year, you know, you'll get to see that next year. Uh, and also, I'm now in the late stages of uh, development of my uh, feature debut Persona. And we are uh, planning on shooting this this year, but God willing, you know. So hopefully you'll see that uh, beginning of next year, too. And uh, on social media, you can find me on uh, Instagram. Uh, my name, Mary Hasavari.
0: Lovely. Um, persona, is this um, a wink to Carl Jung?
1: In- Absolutely. <laughs>
0: I thought as much. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really wish you good luck with your film projects and and, uh, and for exploring this non-dualism that makes us so much richer in the appreciate. tell the story.
1: appreciate being here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me